Isaiah said some 700 years before Christ was born, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, I have long since wondered if God, creator of all things, heaven and earth, didn't purposely design some of the physical elements of our world, some of the physical things we experience, in order to illustrate spiritual realities. I'm fond of saying that I don't think we give God enough credit. After all, isn't it more than just a little bit likely that an all-knowing God who went to the effort to create revealed himself in some facets through the things he created so that we might know him better, those he loves and longs to be known by, that we might know him better. Isn't that more than just a little bit likely? And, and I believe this, di this, this is nowhere more clearly seen, the creative work of God to illustrate who he is, than in the dichotomy between darkness and light. On those living in the land of not moderate darkness or mild darkness, but deep darkness, a light has dawned. Scripture says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Now, I'm no science teacher, uh, but I want to just revisit quickly some of the more elementary truths around darkness and light to help us better understand who God is as he describes himself as light and what it means to be without God, that land of deep darkness, that experience of deep darkness, as well as learn to better celebrate the, the dawning of God's light 2,000 years ago through the birth of Christ. The first thing we need to note about darkness is that it is not a thing. Now, we experience darkness without a doubt. We're experiencing some level of darkness right now, but it's not actually a physical thing. Which means that any commentary we make on darkness is really a commentary on the relative lightlessness we're experiencing. Darkness isn't a thing, it's actually the absence of a thing, light. Now this is no small matter, pun intended. What I mean to say is darkness is not made up of any matter. And here I'll get uh, above my pay grade really quickly. But darkness has no protons, neutrons, or electrons. Our experience of darkness here right now isn't an experience of something that can be quantified. It doesn't have a physical essence. It can't be gathered together. It can't overcome us. Because it's the absence of something. It has no mass. It fills no volume. It has no power. It has no energy. It doesn't move. Have you ever thought about this? Darkness doesn't move. In fact, when we describe the dawn, we describe it as the invasion of light, not the retreat of darkness, because darkness doesn't move. Now, we may say poetically, a, a narrative writer might say, well, the, as the darkness retreated, right? But darkness, factually, it does not move. Light invades. Light 
penetrates. Light breaks through like the little kiddos that have the, the flashlights now, right? I mean, the exit sign, light penetrates, light invades. The truth is the smallest of lights can overcome darkness because the truth is light is everything that darkness is not. Light is made up of matter. Protons, neutrons, electrons. Light exists in both particle form and wave form. Light has mass, energy, force, power. We measure the relative distance of things far away by how quickly light can get there, the speed of light. It moves. And everything it touches, it transforms. The truth is the only remedy for our experience of darkness is light. I'll never forget visiting Mammoth Cave. I've shared this story before. I'm sure that many of you have visited Mammoth Cave in southern Kentucky. Experienced what was certainly something along the lines of deep darkness, physically speaking. We had signed up for a two-hour tour. It was described as moderately strenuous, and we made this quick descent some 250 feet below ground level. As we descended into the caverns of Mammoth Cave, the climate changed dramatically. Up on ground level, a balmy, sunny summer day, 90 degrees, high humidity. But as you got into the caverns, 65 degrees year-round. Our guide, as we started the descent and landed in a huge cavern, a cavern that was three times the size of this room, we paused there in that cavern and he started going over some of the, the natural history of the cavern and pointing out uh, plants and detailing the types of animals that live in this deep darkness talking about the natural history and how the cavern was formed by rushing water, eroding rock over many millennia. And then he turned out the lights. I've never experienced anything like it before or since. 250 feet below ground level, there's no light, zero light. I remember blinking my eyes really dramatically, wondering, are they open? Waving my hand in front of my face. You can't see the hand in front of your face in Mammoth Cave. I remember gripping my children's hands a little bit tighter. He had warned us and said, hey, if you got little ones, you'll want to find them now. And thinking to myself, if they squirm free, it's going to take some effort to find them if the lights don't come back on. And that was at the time the, the guide said, hey, don't worry if the lights, and I'm worrying, if the lights don't come back on, I can get us topside. And I thought, wow, he's a lot more comfortable in the darkness than I am. And I want to talk about that a little later on. Do you know you can grow comfortable in the darkness? The only remedy for darkness is light. In fact, I love the Christmas season, and you can always tell when it's approaching because people start hanging lights, some better than others. Right? That's, our, that's a hobby, right? Critiquing people's exterior illumination. Ours this year is pathetic. Just ask my children. 
The suburbs I love because they decorate the downtowns with the lights. It's decorative for sure, but it's more than that for me, for us, for those who are trusting in Christ. It's symbolic. An unmistakable message that God's light has dawned. It's that, it's that living illustration so that we don't miss it any longer. God is light. Be reminded every day that you experience some degree of darkness, thank God for the light of Christ that's dawned. You know, there are many spiritual truths that weave their way through the Christmas narrative, but it will be hard to grasp any of those spiritual truths until we grasp the truth that God's light has entered the world physically in Jesus. Biblically, darkness is a metaphor for the condition of the human soul. We are born sinful, separated from God, who is himself light. Our desires are dark. Selfishness fills our hearts. And the consequence is we live in darkness. God wants to help us understand the reasons for the dark experiences we have, the disease, we, the difficulties we bump up against, the death that we all face. He wants us to see clearly the remedy he's provided for us in the birth of Jesus. Just look at what's happening. Remember, recall what's happening at the time of Jesus' birth. There was political and military violence. There was injustices, abuse of power. Herod orders the death of children two years old and below in the city of Bethlehem. There's homelessness. Refugees are fleeing oppression. Families are being ripped apart. Aren't you glad all that's behind us? Doesn't sound too different from what goes on today. Do you know that Bethlehem is closed today? Church of the Nativity, the historic site where many believe that Christ was born there in Bethlehem, Church of the Nativity, closed today because of the war that's going on. It's not just individual and collective evil that's a problem, it's also an ignorance. Biblically, when it talks about darkness, it talks about an ignorance. We are in the dark, so to speak. We do not possess the cure in and of ourselves for the sin that we experience and that we're a part of in this world. Our desires are dark. Our understanding is dark. In fact, in Isaiah 8, tonight, we've, throughout Advent, we focused on Isaiah chapter 9. The people in walk, walking in darkness have seen a great, Light, that's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. But in the chapter just prior to that, Isaiah 8, he's recounting the deep darkness the people of God found themselves in. It's on the screen. He describes them as distressed and hungry. They roam through the land, and when they are famished, they'll become enraged and looking upward as if to God. They will curse their king and their God. They don't look up in submission, in humility, in hope, or uh, in appeal for God's care for them, they look up and curse their king and their God. Then they'll look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness. They look back towards the earth as if to bring a, re a remedy, but they see only darkness and distress, fearful gloom, and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. Humanity is described here as enraged and in distress. Just a quick survey of the world. That's the condition we experience. And many, so to speak, look toward the earth in an effort to provide a remedy. 
but they experience utter darkness. Some people look to governance to provide remedies. We're entering a, an election cycle. Some look towards politics to provide a remedy for what ails the human soul. Some look toward the marketplace and economics, whether taxation of the rich or su supply-side economics, whatever your theory is. Some look to science and technology, believing we're just one great research breakthrough away from fixing all that ails the human life and human experience. Many look towards the earth, believing that we can overcome poverty and violence and injustice and evil. If we just pull together and work a little harder, we can create a world of unity and peace. Yet, 2,000 years later, slavery continues, poverty, hunger continues, wars continue. I'll admit we are learning to cope with the darkness without a doubt. Like the guide in Mammoth Cave who tried to reassure us that he had been trained to get us topside if the light didn't come back on. He was much more comfortable in the darkness. But the only remedy for darkness is light. One of the most thoughtful world leaders of the 20th century was Vaclav Havel, the first president of the Czech Republic as the communist curtain fell. President Havel died 10, 12 years ago. He had a unique vantage point from which to look back on history and assess all that unfolded for his people, as well as to look forward. He stood at a crossroads. And he offered commentary on the future that wasn't terribly optimistic, apart from a trust in God. You see, Havel stood at the crossroads of communism and democracy in his country at the end of the Cold War. His assessment was the 19th century politics and science without moral compass had yielded Nazism and the Holocaust, and the Holocaust which led to communism post-World War II, and it spread around the globe, which gave us the gulag. While the greed of capitalism, in his estimation, in the West produced sweatshops. For this reason, he concluded that neither science, nor technology, nor the state, nor the marketplace alone could save us from darkness. His remedy? He said, the pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself nor is democracy alone enough. Now, he's president of the Czech Republic just after the Iron Curtain had fallen. He said a turning to and a seeking after God is needed. Education has its place. Science and technology, governance have their places. We need new governance. Let's pray for our country as we enter 2024. But they are not alone a remedy for the darkness. They can't touch what's going on in my heart, in our hearts. We need our creator to come in and care for us with his light, his life. Christmas, for this reason, is the most realistic and unsentimental way of looking at life. Now, there's a lot of sentimentality around, around Christmas, and praise God for that. I'll go home tonight. We'll have a great dinner, good traditions. Attending a Christmas service is is a part of it. There's lights and beauty and music. 
But the message of Christmas is not simply cheer up, let's pull together, we can fix this. That's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is that we are hopelessly lost in the dark, apart from our Creator's entry into the world 2,000 years ago in His care of our souls. So Christianity does not agree with optimistic leaders who say we can fix anything. Nor does it agree with pessimistic leaders that say there's no hope. The message of Christmas is keenly sober. Things are really bad. We can't heal or save ourselves. But the world is dark, but God has come to rescue us. Being born in Bethlehem, a light has dawned. When Isaiah speaks of Christ's light dawning in the world, he's using the sunshine as a metaphor, again, I don't know that we give our creator enough credit. Did Isaiah come up with this metaphor or did God design the world so that daily we are reminded of the necessity of sunshine in the dawn of light for life itself so that when Christ entered the world, he can say, I am the light of the world. My light has dawned. You know it. This is a five o'clock fourth service freebie. You know, the ancient Hebrew day starts in the evening at dusk. It goes dusk, a little bit of light. That's the beginning of the day. Darkness and then the dawn. So in the ancient Hebrew worldview, you read the Genesis 1 uh, creation account, and it was night and it was day the first day. And it was night and it was day the second day. Well, we don't do that in modernity. We say the day starts at about whenever the dawn comes, and then it concludes at midnight in the darkness. But in the ancient Hebrew world, this is more than you bargained for. Dusk, a little bit of light, and then the darkness. <clears throat> Genesis 1 and 2, a little bit of light. Genesis 3, darkness invades. The fall of humanity and then the dawning of Christ. Such that every night we go to sleep, we reenact our greatest hope. We lie down. We're unconscious. It's like a grave. And he wakens us. And we're raised. We wake in the sunshine. Folks, let's give the Creator a little bit more credit what if in his infinite wisdom and understanding, he designed every day so that you and I will be reminded of the necessity of the resurrection, the dawning of Christ in our lives? All right, I'm lost. Sunshine, it brings light, it brings truth, it brings beauty. We know that it brings life. Without the sunshine, we, we wouldn't have life. We know this physically. The same is true with Christ spiritually. When Christ says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying, I am life itself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that. Physical life, we understand. Spiritual life is a little harder to get our arms around. What's it mean to be without spiritual life? Well, it, it's experienced in a hopelessness, a purposelessness, a self-sabotage, which is all too common in our experience where we fill our lives with sin in an effort to find meaning and purpose and, and fill our lives with something that, that cares for us. 
Identity in, in, in our modern, postmodern age is a big one. Apart from God, we can't know our true identity. Paul writes that by him and for him are we made. So if you have a sense of meaninglessness or purposelessness, or you struggle with a sense of identity, who am I, why am I here? Let the light of Christ dawn in your life. He is the light that brings life. Truth, nobody will drive home this evening. Sunshine brings truth to focus on our lives. We can see by it. No one will drive home this evening with the headlights off. Hopefully not. Because it shows the way to go. The same is true for Christ. As Christ dawns in our lives, we see more clearly. Our darkened understanding is enlivened. Do we see perfectly? No. But we see increasingly clear as we draw near to Christ and follow closely after him. Finally, beauty. He brings to our lives beauty. We just had the winter solstice, right? The longest day of the year, mostly dark. Now we're, we're moving towards increasing light. We know that in those geographies where there's not much sunlight, picture Alaska in the winter, just a couple hours a day, there's higher rates of depression and addiction. When the light of Christ dawns in our lives, he provides for us life and truth and beauty. He brings meaning. These are Isaiah's words. This is the design of God, that we'd find our purpose in our creator's presence. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And how can we know about this light dawning in our lives? Well, it's as simple as looking to heaven in humility, submission, agreeing with Isaiah's, with God's, assessment of the situation that apart from him we're in darkness and that we need the dawning of his son's light in our lives. Don't leave here this evening thinking that just a little more willpower is going to fix it or just a little more research or just a little more education will fix what's ailing the human existence. Don't leave here simply committed to greater effort in the new year or greater sincerity. Leave here tonight convinced that the only remedy for darkness is God's light. Let's leave here tonight humbled by our situation, living in a land of deep darkness. I don't know the answer to the Middle Eastern crisis or to poverty globally, but I know that in Christ, a day is coming where all creation will be restored. Scripture says so. He's the light that's dawning. Let him shine on us fully. You can express a desire. Maybe it's clicking with you in a way it's never clicked before. Maybe it's making sense, the design, spiritual realities, the design of our world, and you're thinking, I do see darkness. I need the light of God, my creator. I need meaning and purpose. This is the reason Christ came. If that's making sense, I'd encourage you, if that faith is welling up in your heart, let your mouth profess what your heart's believing. Scripture says the light will come in. You'll be saved. That's how it talks about it. Saved from what? Saved from darkness. Saved to what? A life of meaning and purpose and glory to God. I wrote a little prayer to help give verbiage 
You, it's nothing magic about this prayer. It can't be magic. I wrote it. But it's just a means to encourage you to express what some of you may be feeling for the first time. Maybe it's a clicking. Heavenly Father, I confess the darkness, that the darkness of my life and the world is caused by human sin. G.K. Chesterton, a 19th century journalist, was asked, and he was a prolific writer. He wrote some 3,000 essays. He wrote daily article in the London Times for like 30 years. He was asked, what's the problem with the world? And they thought they would get from him this long, profuse answer about all that's going wrong. And he gave a two-word answer, I am. What's wrong with the world? Me. He's just talking about sin a deeply convicted Christian. I want to receive your light, Jesus. Forgive me for my sin. Let Jesus' light dawn in my heart. Thank you for the gift of your son. I'll close with this one last story. We all know what it's like uh, to be in a deep sleep in a dark room, and then one of your siblings comes in and throws the lights on, right? Startling. The same can be said when we come into the light of Christ. It can be startling. It can be somewhat unnerving. We can grow accustomed to the dark. In fact, it may be the case that this Christmas season, you're a follower of Christ. You've long since been trusting in Christ, but you toy with the darkness. You live in not deep darkness, but mild darkness, moderate darkness. You don't follow Christ fully in a sold-out fashion. You don't see how close you can get to Christ in His light, but how much you can stay kind of a safe distance. Folks, life and Truth and beauty is found in the closer we get to Christ. My freshman year of college, I went on this outward bound trip to start my first semester. It was to be a 17-day hiking trip. And, uh, but it didn't start with hiking. It actually started with canoeing. It was dusk, and we got in canoes, and they didn't tell us we would not get out of the canoes till the next morning. We canoed all night in the dark. It was fairly unnerving as the sun set, and uh, I was bobbling for my map, and uh, got my flashlight out to try and navigate the shoreline in this chain of lakes and was futzing around and, and bobbled and my uh, flashlight went into the water and I watched it sink to the bottom and it just kind of disappeared in the lake. And so I had the night, uh, just me and my buddy, no light. And we did our best to stay in line with the eight other canoes, right, as we made our way around the shoreline. Did you know I grew fairly accustomed to the dark? After a while, a few or four hours, it wasn't terribly unnerving. I got comfortable. But when the dawn came up, it changed the entire landscape. All my perceptions were reoriented. In truth, I could see where I needed to go. In beauty, were more available to me than they had been all night long. And life itself was in the sunshine. I'll never forget the dawn breaking that morning and thinking, get me out of this canoe. So thankful for the light. I want to encourage you in the year ahead to come fully into the light of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus or if you just started that journey, let his light bathe you this year. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray for your goodness to us as a people. Thank you so much for the light of Jesus. We confess that sometimes we toy with the darkness and have grown terribly accustomed to it. Draw us into the light. Thank you for the truth and the beauty and the life that's found in your son. In Jesus' name, amen.